Davidic covenant. And God has a mandate on my life. And as I step into leadership in this season, I know it's a mandate on our church for this time um, to become increasingly a house of prayer. And the essence of what that really means. So I'm excited that that is very relevant for this passage as we look at the Davidic covenant against the new covenant. And really how they're, they're so connected. And of course the heart of God is consistent throughout these covenants. He never changes. But um, this covenant uh, as it's tied from David to Jesus is just, uh, just incredible. And as we go from that old one into the new one. And so um, we're going to be looking at 2 Samuel. If you can go to the text, Ella. Seven, uh, I'm actually going to start with verse 1. Um, two, because I think that, uh, or rather, because I think that it's, it's a relevant part of this. And so, you know, this is the fourth uh, week of Advent, and it's the, it's the um, week of love. So the focus is love related to Advent this week. And um, we're going to be talking about a house being built for the Lord in this passage um, and, and asking uh, the question. Does God want a house? Does God want a house built for Him? Does He want a resting place? Does He want a dwelling place? And as you consider that, and we read this passage together next, um, consider that Jesus came in the flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus came in the flesh and dwelt among us. I won't go into that, because that's probably better for Christmas Eve, but um, does God want a house? Um, yeah, I'm going to read this now. Um, can you guys stand in honor of God's word? So on the screen, it'll pick up at verse 8. I'm starting with verse 1. After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him. Oh, okay, they're all there. Okay, I just had the wrong reference on top. Nope, I did. that was all me. That's, this is better. <laughs> Actually, can you read it aloud with me since we have it? <laughs> I like that uh, better. So, after the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, This is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, 
Tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore, as they did at the beginning, and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Amen. We see. All right. So... David says, I want to build God, you a house. And God says, have I ever had a house? You know, and I think of other passages, right? I'm paraphrasing, but like, like, can a house contain me? Can, can a house be made for me with human hands? You know, and so we get this picture, at least from this passage, like, does God even want a house? Right? Does he need a house? Does he want a house? And he says to David... I will build a house for you. Aww. What a powerful picture. He says, you won't build a house for me, but I will build a house for you. And your family line will persist as, the, as seated on the, on the throne forever. The throne of this house. Isn't that amazing? What a call on David's life. And so David gets this message. And so the question is, does God want a house? David has just been made king of Israel. And after um, conquering Jerusalem from foreigners, he decides to make that the political center of um, Israel. And he now wants to make it the religious center by building God a house. And so this is what God, this is kind of the context into which God is speaking to him through the prophet Nathan. And so the next thing we see, though, is this picture in David's rulership that consists of gathering Levites together. It's like the first thing he does around the Ark of the Covenant, which represents or carries the presence of God, right? And so I want to give a little context about who the Levites are. And then I want to give a little context overview of who David is and what his relationship with the Lord is like. And so way back in Exodus, you see that the Levites, um, that the, the, the Israelites rather, are uh, worshiping this golden calf that they made. 
right? While Moses is on the mountain uh, receiving the Mosaic Covenant, or the, the Ten Commandments from the Lord, he's encountering the Lord, he comes down and sees this. Well, after this, shortly after that, um, Moses, or God rather, says to the Levite, or to, God says to the Israelites, he says, who is for me? And it says, all of the Levites gathered to him. The Levites are one of 12 tribes of Israel. He said to the Israelites, who is for me? Come up. And the, and the Levites are the ones who gather to him. Now that's important because if you move forward into Numbers chapter 3, you see where God um, says to Aaron, or to Moses, Give the Levites to Aaron and his sons. They are wholly given to him from among the sons of Israel. Now, behold, I have taken the Levites from among the sons of Israel instead of every firstborn. They shall be mine. And they would be set apart to minister to the Lord, and he would be their portion rather than physical lands. So the promised land is coming, but for the Levites, God himself would be their inheritance. Now, you're, you may be connecting the dots why it's important that we're focusing on the Levites right now. Because 1 Peter 2.9 says that we are a royal priesthood. And unlike in those days, we're a priesthood of believers, right? Not a portion of God's body, but anyone who's a believer. This isn't like the special tribe of Israel, believers. It's all believers. <laughs> we're a priesthood whose primary calling is to minister, therefore, to the Lord. And so we did that this morning. And did you feel and do you always feel at home when we come together and do that? We were made for that. More on that in a little bit. So the Levites are gathered like God. David gathers the Levites. And he gathers them around God's presence, the Ark of the Covenant. And he assigns 4,000 Levites of the 38,000 as musicians and skilled singers. Fun fact, side note, we have, um, there are 288 skilled singers in 1 Chronicles 25 who David assigns to this. They're broken up into these three groups and they're taught to prophesy and, and um, the musicians are taught to prophesy with harp and lyre and cymbals. Well, a few years ago when we renovated the church, um, we uh, got new chair. We got the chairs that we have now that are up at the Crestmont campus, and there are 288 chairs. Oh. And I was like, "Oh God!" <laughs> I almost fell over in the spirit. <laughs> but the 288 chairs, I'm like, "This is a word of the Lord." You know, we are like the Levites. We are a priesthood of believers. But so David gathered them, and what was their assignment? But to minister to the Lord. Day and night, 24-7. There were also gatekeepers and treasurers and officers and judges. And they would, and, and they would keep this house uh, that the Lord, that would be built for the Lord. But David did not build it. Solomon built it. But did God even want it? Let's see. Um, but a little bit about David first. So... David sought God in the pastures and encountered him there. David was a shepherd boy, as you all may know. And it was there that he caught the heart 
of God. Um, because if you remember, uh, or if you know, Samuel would anoint David. But when he went to anoint him, he had all these older brothers. And God, Samuel thought for sure, right? I mean, the prophet got it wrong. He thought for sure it was one of these older brothers. The dad, like, forgot about David because it was a foregone conclusion that he wouldn't have been um, because he was the youngest and whatever other reason. I don't know if there's any other reasons. But, but anyhow, he says, no, there's one. Samuel's like, no, there's one more. And he, you know, calls David out from the fields. And the Lord corrected Samuel and he said to him, you look at the appearance of man, but I look at the heart. And elsewhere he would say, David was a man. After his own heart. Why was he a man? After his own heart. Was it because he was perfect? By no means. <laughs> We're not going to go into all of David's story today. And whether you know it or not. You know David was far from perfect. But he was a man after God's own heart. And one of the reasons is because he sought the Lord. We see in the Psalms. He wrote 73 of the Psalms. In the context of 24-7 day and night worship and prayer. Come on. All of the Psalms. That we have today. I mean, you have to understand, like, this is the context. 33 years under David's leadership. No house, but day and night worship and prayer around the ark. There's no house yet, <laughs> but day and night worship around. God never released him to, to build that house, but there was day and night worship and prayer. And he said in those, some of those psalms, right, he said, um, The Lord says to my heart, seek me continually. And he says, your face I will seek. And a life verse that I'll quote here often is, right, um, that, uh, Lord, one thing I ask, and that will I seek, is to dwell in your house forever, to, <laughs> to, to gaze upon your beauty, to meditate on you, Jesus. And this was the cry of the Levites. This was the cry of David's heart. He said, we behold you in your power, in your glory, in the sanctuary place. And, you know, there were other places where um, David would talk about um, just beholding God. And we know that David had a revelation of Christ. There are several what's called messianic songs where he would, pro David was a prophet. He's called a prophet in scripture, not just a king. And he's a priest, right? <laughs> we see this in his worship. But David would, um, he would prophesy about Jesus, Psalm 2, Psalm 22, and Psalm 45, there were other Levites who were prophesying about Jesus. So we see this picture of Christ. He has a picture of Jesus uh, coming with captives in his train. Paul would quote this in Ephesians 4. Captives coming in his train, Psalm 68, coming back to the new Jerusalem with captives in his train, Psalm 24. And he would, he would come to the gates in Psalm 68 with captives in his train, you and me. The church. From all nations. And in Psalm 24, David said, Be lifted up, you gates, that the King of glory may come in. I mean, this is powerful. He saw Jesus. He had a revelation of Christ over a thousand years before Christ came to earth. He saw the new Jerusalem where we'll be forever a physical place. A physical place where we'll worship Him. Upon his return and be with him forever, he saw Jesus returning there. David said that, oh, David even made instruments. He made instruments that the people would worship the Lord. 
But he said this in Psalm 132, and this should be on the screen. I don't know if you can go to the next thing. Uh, actually, can you go back? Yes, this is it. Remember, Lord, in David's behalf, all his affliction, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. This is Solomon, his son, writing, by the way. Uh, most believe that. Uh, this is Psalm 132. Remember how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. I certainly will not enter my house, nor lie on my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes, or slumber to my eyelids. Can you go to that? Until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. So this wasn't just a passing comment that he said to Nathan in the passage we read first. This was like David's heart cry. was like, I won't sleep until he has a house. So if it wasn't built in his day, that meant that David burned for this all of his days. He probably slept some. But he burned for this all of his days as king. You know, we historically, as the church, have gathered around a lot of different things. We've gathered around preaching. We've gathered around evangelism and mission. We've gathered around a lot of different advocacy for justice issues. And I want to say that the Lord celebrates preaching and invented preaching, right? And preaching is good and anointed preaching is important. Um, I should believe that if I'm up here this morning <laughs> preaching, right? It'd be silly for me to say, like, but it's not, we're not supposed to preach. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. But that we center around preaching often in the history of the church. That we can center around teaching or center around other things, evangelism, mission. And I want to propose to you this morning that God primarily calls us to center around His presence and to minister to Him, and to grow in ministering to Him, because from His presence, we will do evangelism on fire. We will preach on fire. We will be on mission on fire. We will be advocates for justice issues on fire. Not with mixture, not with political leaven, but with the leaven of the kingdom. Because we've seen the risen Christ. And he said, wait until you've been clothed with power from on high. And you will receive power to what? Be my witnesses. We've got to see him first, brothers and sisters. David saw him. And that's what I'm I'm referring to is encountering the living Christ as we gather around his presence. We might start in his omnipresence, right? Just acknowledging that he's here theologically. But would we wait until we encounter His manifest presence? And I mean every time. I mean an awareness of His presence. What I don't mean is some manifest, particular manifestation or some agenda that I come in with. But what I do mean is that we come into an awareness that He's here because He promised where two or three are gathered, there I am in the middle. Because He promised that draw near to me and I will draw near to you. We are not a house of preaching. We are not a house of justice. We are not a house of mission or evangelism. We are a house of prayer. Are we a people of justice? Of course. But the point is we gather, our identity in Christ corporately is as a house 
of prayer. And from his, the fire of his presence, we do the things he calls us to do. We hear from him what to do and how to do it. You know, um, if you can go to the next slide, Ella. So this is in Amos. This is generations after David. Um, oh, this is so cool. This was what I was going to. But look at, what, look at what God said to David. Because it was in your heart to build a house for me, you did well that it was in your heart. Because you wanted to, you did well that it was in your heart. I just want to say lastly about David before I go to shift gears to the Amos thing. That David went from the pasture to the palace with a wilderness in between. Having caught God's heart for what God wanted. You see, a house for the Lord was not originally David's idea. It was actually God's. It was actually God's. You did well. That it was in your heart. I put that in your heart. You received it. In the pastures. As a shepherd boy. And when I saw. What was in your heart. I said I want him. To be the king. And he said I'm going to make you king. For Israel's sake. And a lot of times we read that. With one thing in mind. Which is don't get puffed up. It's not about you. It's about Israel. You're not the king for you. Right? That's one, that's, that's a fair interpretation. You know, that's a good word for David. But another part of that is, <clears throat> it's to Israel's benefit <clears throat> that a man after God's own heart is king. <laughs> right? It's to Israel's benefit. It's for Israel's sake that I'm making you king. Right? But it started way before that. And he was anointed, and there were years bef- between his anointing and his becoming king. And most of it was being chased by a crazy, jealous king who, before, who was before him. And that was like David's journey of preparation. And that's a whole other story, because that's, that's, a, that's a sermon about David. But thanks, man. I appreciate that. So if you can go to the next slide. Though. Oh, okay. So this one might not be in there. This is about... Um, so I just wanted to reference this. I'm going to read this to you. To transition here. But so generations after David, Amos the prophet says this about our day. Okay? On that day, I will raise up the fallen shelter or booth or house of David and wall up its gaps. I'll raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations or Gentiles who are called by my name. Okay, now track with me here. So James, the leader of the first established church in the book of Acts, quotes this passage saying that this is the fulfillment of this passage is that Paul and Silas just went out and all these Gentiles are getting saved. It's not just for Jews. It's for Gentiles. They were just coming into that revelation. You and I know that now because we're Gentiles. Most of us, I think, maybe all of us. I don't know. (laughs) But, you know, he was just learning that. And he said, oh my gosh, this is the fulfillment of the passage in Amos. You know, because James knew the Old Testament. And he said, on that day, I will raise up the fallen house of David. So the house of David was rebuilt. That is the church. This house is the house of prayer. The church that was being 
rebuilt, starting with the birth of the church in Acts. That was fulfilled. Um, And so we are a priesthood of the Lord. And as we minister to Him because He's worthy, we get in touch with His zeal for His house that consumes Him. And we get sent out with His burning heart in love for others. All right, Corey Russell says, The greatest longing in God's heart is to fully dwell on earth. David touched the deepest ache in God. That this wasn't David's ache that God didn't fulfill. This was God's ache that he put in David's heart that he would fulfill in time. First he fulfilled it in the foreshadowing first temple built by Solomon, David's son. He would ultimately fulfill it in his church and will ultimately fulfill it, fulfill it in his second coming. We have a picture of God, this being God's ache, from Revelation 4 and 5, where there's day and night worship and prayer. Of the new Jerusalem, and at the end of the story where God will have a permanent dwelling among his people forever. God said, and God did have Solomon build a house. He said, your son Solomon shall build my house and my courts. For I've chosen, chosen him to be a son to me and I will be a father to him. So you see, God did ordain that Solomon build a house. He didn't build it because his dad wanted him to. It was just God's timing that Solomon would build it. He said, David, you're, you were a man of war. You were a man of bloodshed. You can't build me the house. And so that was some of what was behind that. But he said, there will be peace and rest on every side. And we would see in Solomon's reign and rule as a type of Christ, the wisdom, the wealth, the peace, and um, the fortune that would exist around him in the context of day and night worship and prayer, right? Now, many of these kings didn't finish well. But they would represent in these aspects... God's design or a shadow of who was to come. In this passage, Jesus, if we ask ourselves, who is God in this passage? Jesus is the root and descendant of David. And Revelation says he's the root and descendant of David. He is the anointed one. And because he's the anointed one, we are anointed. The Spirit of God is upon us and Heather led us so well in that this morning. Each of us are a dwelling of God, right? We know it's in God's heart to dwell among us because we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And so each individual, 1 Corinthians 6 says, we are a temple of the Lord. But 2 Corinthians 6 talks about how we as the church are a temple of the Lord. So both individually and collectively, our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit, but also that we as the church are a temple. And I want to close by speaking to this and then spending some time being activated in, in prayer with you guys in worship. So, we are a temple, and there's three takeaways from Psalm 132 that I want to highlight. In Psalm 132, where, it's, where um, David is uh, referenced by Solomon, that he won't sleep until he, God gets a house. There are three takeaways that are God's will for us. And that is to find or to build a house for Him. 
It is to go to the house and it is to worship there together. It is not complicated. (laughs) It is to find or to build a house for him. And in that pattern, we know from what I just shared that this is God's heart. He wants us. I believe the Lord is saying all around the world today, arise and build. Build me a house. And I know some may say theologically, well, Steve, isn't the house of prayer the church? Isn't it wherever the people of God are? The answer is yes. But God wants a physical place like he like he will have forever in the new Jerusalem. We know this from that, that he wants a physical place. We know it from the garden before the fall. He was fully dwelling on earth with his people. And he will fully dwell in a city, a physical place, right? New heavens, new earth, new Jerusalem, forever with his people. And I believe that the Lord doesn't want us to just agree that we are a house of prayer as his people. But that he wants us to be activated in it increasingly in the days of preparation for his second coming. And so what does it look like to be activated in our identity as a house of prayer? To increasingly, for our trajectory to be gathering more, not less, in a physical location that's set apart to the Lord. And I believe that God is speaking this in this day. I want my people to return to being gathered around my presence both as I manifest myself to them and in preparation for that full day. Does that make sense? And so, three ways the Lord has spoken that to me as a fresh rhema word in these last years, uh, up to and including as recent as Wednesday. So, one, you may have heard me share this story, um, but the Lord said to me through two people in two different places, Um, if you build it, from the movie Field of Dreams, if you build it, they will come. And the context in which this was said to me was about a 24-7 prayer center. And I've I've always thought about 24-7 prayer centers as like separate from the local church, right? Um, Like that's that's an expression of the church. That's something that some people are called to and whatever. um, But I do believe that God is bridging. He's putting these things together, right? I do think... That God wants his church to come into alignment with this. That we move in the trajectory toward 24-7 worship and prayer. That doesn't mean every person never leaves a room. (laughs) That means you can come and go as you please, but there will always be a place. A dwelling place where two or three are gathered. Say just one prayer facilitator, one worship leader. And say no one else has come yet in in a particular minute. But that they're there. 24-7, hosting His presence. That when someone walks in, who doesn't have any responsibilities, but knows that there's a place (laughs) that they can go, that's always open. That's always hosting His manifest presence. Right? This is what God longs for. Is to be with us forever. And He wants us to increasingly become that dwelling place. So that was the first way I heard the Lord. The second was October in the um, second week of October, I went with Jake to a church. A church that's practicing 72 hours of worship and prayer um, each week. And so it's Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. It's a local church. Um, it's not a separate prayer ministry. 
And we just went there for impartation. We went to learn. We had meetings. Uh, we went to their classes. They have a school of ministry. And we were, of course, so blessed by that. But I was in uh, one of the most profound moments for me was actually um, in sharing with this young married couple. Jake and I were talking with them. I just said, yeah. I said, I just, I'm fully convinced that God wants a resting place. And as I said that, I just split open. And I just began to weep and weep. And I was caught off guard by that. And I knew the Spirit of God was speaking. And he was like, yeah, that's what I want. That's what I want. And he was bringing me into alignment with that to build. <laughs> to build with him. And unless the Lord builds it, we labor in vain. But when the Lord says, build me a house of prayer, and, and I will come and they will come, then the obedience of faith <laughs> is aligning with his building it. And so God's doing that here. And I'm excited about that. Um, he's doing that at the tab. And he's doing that um, in our region. I think he's going to do it through the network. He's going to do it at the tab. He's going to bring, he's prophesying, he's going to bring more musicians. He's going to bring more prayer facilitators. He's going to bring more worshipers in spirit and truth. And how many of you know that the Father's eyes roam to and fro for those whose hearts are fully devoted to him? Who are wholehearted toward him. That he, could, that he would fully support them. There's two places I see in scripture. Who the father seeks us. And we know that it's the Lord who found us. And when we were lost. And, but I mean where he seeks a group of people. He says those who are wholehearted in the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament. Worshippers in spirit and truth. He said. Jesus said the father seeks. Worshippers in spirit and truth. So, oh, that the Lord would have a place, a place, not just in our hearts, right, <laughs> but the physical place that's set apart to him, that we can be activated in our hearts to come together and worship him. This Wednesday, uh, this past Wednesday, I was in worship and prayer with, with uh, two couples. And as we were in worship and prayer, the Lord took us to the place that I worshipped out of um, a few minutes ago uh, about Jesus being high and lifted up as the anointed one. And we were just exalting him and we were joyful. We were in the spirit. It was a wonderful time. Um, and uh, one of them saw um, in, in a vision, they saw like oil just being poured into the room. And as they did... Uh, they later told me they didn't see me doing this, but I was pouring a vial of oil <laughs> in their room, like literally, and uh, wiping the doorpost with this oil. It was just like a holy moment. We were just encountering the Lord. Well, then um, uh, one of the women said, uh, she said, Lord, thank you for bringing us into alignment right now. And shortly after she said that, I have no other way to describe this except to say I was utterly seized by the Holy Spirit. This has only happened to me twice. And it was the most intense encounter I've had in my life. Wow. And it was on Wednesday. And I wasn't supposed to preach this today. In the context in which that happened to me, I was on the floor, and all I'll say is, minus the pain, mom, moms, that uh, it was in the cadence of contractions. <laughs> like I was giving birth to something. And for better than an hour. Wow. On the floor. And just snot crying and mostly on, sometimes off. I think so that I didn't like pass out or die. I'm serious. <laughs> it, was, it was like intense. 
And I'm still processing all this, but here's what happened during that time. This is the word. This is the most important part. So I'm telling you, this, this is what's happening to me. And then two people got the same passage. And the passage was Psalm 132. One person got the first half, and the other person got the second half. Wow. Oh, I won't sleep. I won't give wow. you rest, nor rest. Until I build a house for you. And this is what I've, I believe. There, there was a sense in which, a picture in which we were birthing something then. Or partnering with God. Or maybe I was identifying with something of what Jesus' intercession is really like. That he lives to intercede for us. But do we know what that means? No. <laughs> we don't. <laughs> I mean... Uh, maybe sometimes it's less than that. Maybe it's always as intense than that when I consider the passion of Christ. But um, he was bringing me out of dullness. He was bringing me out of boredom. He was bringing me into alignment <laughs> with his heart for this. And the intensity of his passion, of the zeal that consumes him for his house. And the zeal is for his church, brothers and sisters. But that we would have a place for us to be activated in that. That we would have a place to encounter His zeal. To come in contact with it. To walk in it. To live from it toward the harvest. I believe that when Jesus said, pray earnestly for the laborers. For laborers for the harvest. He was saying, these are the laborers I want. I want laborers whose hearts are burning for me. With my fire, not theirs. (laughs) <laughs> with my fire from the prayer room to the ends of the earth. Amen? And so, the old covenant in this passage is God saying to David, I will build you a house. But of course, it's a prophecy. The old covenant is a prophecy about the new covenant in Jesus' blood. That this one, this son of David, consider God's esteem of David. That he would call Jesus Christ the son of David. In fulfillment of his promise to David. In honor of his promise to David. This fallen man. Who was a man after God's own heart. Brothers and sisters, consider that and receive his love for you this morning. That you who are least in the kingdom of God. That I who am least in the kingdom of God. Am greater. Than David. Because John the Baptist was the greatest man born of a woman. But he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Wow. Receive that love from the Lord this morning for you. And when we come to that house that's dedicated to him and we encounter him in that house, it's that love that he wants to give you. We come for Him, but we also receive from Him. Like, He doesn't need us. He wants us. He wants a house, a physical house, that His house of prayer, His church, can be encountered with His delight and desire for you. He delights and desires in you, and He delights to delight in you. I want to close with reading this. I wasn't going to. I'm going to read this. Oh, it's late. 
Jake and Karen, you better get up here because we're setting up the church up there for the Christmas party. We got to go. <laughs> I want to honor that. Um, oh, here we go. So in closing, I want you to consider what Solomon, David's son, in the context of a people of day and night worship and prayer, in a kingdom, in a rule, in his day, and his, his name Solomon means peace, where there was rest on every side from all his enemies. And at the time, he was the wisest man on earth. And this is from the Song of Solomon as a picture of Jesus' love for his bride. How beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful. Guys, this is what we, when we're activated as a house of prayer, these are the things, these are the messages that are imparted to our hearts. Let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is pleasant and your face is lovely. This is God to us. This is the bridegroom Christ to you. You are beautiful, my darling. Beautiful beyond words. You are altogether beautiful, my darling. Beautiful in every way. You have captured my heart, my treasure, my bride. You hold it hostage with one glance of your eyes. Your love delights me, my treasure, my bride. Your love is better than wine. You are beautiful, my darling, as majestic as an army with billowing banners. Turn your eyes away from me, for they overpower me. I just want you to take a moment to receive that. Lord, you almost can't stand to look at us, Lord God, because of how beautiful we are to you. Lord, we receive your love. And Lord God, would we be captivated by your beauty as much as you're captivated by ours? Give us a revelation of the beauty of God, of your beauty, Christ. Oh, beautiful bridegroom, Christ. Oh, how beautiful is your love, Father. Holy Spirit, how beautiful is your fellowship. And Lord, in closing, we ask, would we be your resting place? Make your home here, God. Make your home here in a physical space and place, even as you have in our hearts. A place where we can gather that's dedicated, that's consecrated unto you, O oh God. Because you're worthy. And in preparation for that day, Lord God. Lord God, would you increase and accelerate this? Would you increase and accelerate this, Lord God? Would we come into contact with you increasingly through a place that increasingly is open, practically open for day and night worship and prayer? Lord, would you establish that here? Lord, gather to us the Levites. Gather to us the musicians. Gather to us the singers, Lord God. Multiply the singers. Multiply the musicians, Lord God, who are equipped to facilitate day and night worship and prayer among us. That we can come and worship day and night before your throne. Experiencing who you are and who we are in you, Christ. 
experiencing what you're saying and obeying you in faith and doing what you say. Lord God, to your glory and return in Jesus' name. Amen.